Hello friends, welcome to, or welcome back to, our Runner's Life podcast. I'm currently six days out from the Berlin Marathon, so I'm going to talk about the build-up, I'm going to talk about the race, and I'm going to share some news, and I'm going to finish off with a conversation with former professional athlete, Philip Barr. His marathon best is 2.16, he is the captain of Adidas Runners in Berlin, and he shares some key tips that you need to know about the Berlin Marathon. There's one in particular that made me laugh and I'm sure it'll make you laugh as well. Stay tuned for that. So the year started off with my A-race, which is a Sevilla marathon. Didn't go to plan, ran 3.04, and I knew from that and from the previous marathons and races that I needed to make a change. So after that, I just gave myself some time and I just reset. During that period, a great opportunity came up through Tracksmith to train and run the mile. It was an opportunity to be coached by Nick Willis who is an amazing athlete and has such consistency over the mile. So I had to take that up. And training for the shorter distances, the middle distances, definitely taught me something different and added to my knowledge and understanding of running. But primarily, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the community aspect. I enjoyed the running. So the idea was to use the Westminster Mile as a training run and then do the Tracksmith Mile later in the year. However, I did the Westminster Mile, but an opportunity came up through work to travel to Portugal. Rookie mistake, I did a trail race. Yes, you can be strong as a runner, but going from a road runner to trail races is fraught with difficulty. So whilst I had the endurance, so for me, particularly on the downhills, I was using muscles that I had not used before, particularly my foot. And I came back with a slight injury, which meant that I couldn't do the Tracksmith Mile race. Now, as a runner, we tend to try to push through these things. And I thought, you know what? It's just not worth pushing through it. Let me just sit it out. I went down there, supported all the runners there. I was really upset. Obviously, I couldn't run it, but it's just one of those things. And I think there's the Hackney Half as well, which I also sat out with because I just knew I wasn't in the right place to be at. I had an amazing high. And then obviously you go through those lows of just like go managing injury and, you know, just getting back to things. So I took things easy, thanks to the team at R&D Physios, they got me back on my feet. Then I spent a lot of the summer just running easy, just not doing such intense workouts. And to be honest, I'd advise that for most people, just to make sure you have a period of time of just easy running before you jump into workouts, just to enjoy the running. But whilst I was saying that, I don't make it seem like it was wishy-washy and I was just doing it as I felt like it. There was a plan to the method. So I was still making sure that I got my long runs in on the weekend, with the eye of the marathon at the end of the year. So so in that period of me not doing workouts per se, I'd still make sure that I'd be doing a hilly run on the weekend and that would still count as a workout because it's still work on your legs. It still builds the strength and it helps with form. For me, that was the primary thing before I went into the marathon block. And as I said at the start of the conversation, I changed approach from the marathon block. So anyone that followed my training Previously, you would have seen a lot more intensity, a lot more effort at marathon pace. And like I said, there's, this isn't about disparaging any form of training because that training got me to sub three. And I think you've got to find what works for you. As a running coach, if you're, if you're running your easy runs too hard and they're affecting your hard runs, then maybe you need to pull back your easy runs. If your hard runs are taking it out of you and you're taking long to recover and it's impacting the, the remaining hard runs in the week then you need to consider whether those hard runs are the right for you at that time and how you can adapt things and the idea of this conversation is to give like a high level view of what i did what i'm probably going to do in the future is do a lot more detail in terms of the actual 
training block and how it went. So essentially for me, what I was trying to work at was to build my aerobic base. So have slightly higher mileage than I was doing before and focus a little bit less on the workout intensity just because I've got responsibility with family and work and I wasn't recovering as well to make the gain stick. So I made sure that the work that I was doing was at a slightly low intensity and I don't want to make it seem like it's easier because you still got to work hard when you're marathon training. There's no way around it. There's no way you can just run easy and then hope to turn up on a day and, and run a pace that your body's not used to and you just can't manage to sustain. So my training looks like more miles, work from tempo work and also keeping intensity around the threshold pace. I didn't really touch too much on the VO2 max work. So potentially that is an area which I can explore in future training blocks. Ultimately, I think the thing about training is that there are many systems, but each person is an individual and you really have to approach it based on the person that you're you're working with. So for example, there's a guy I coach called Simon and you can find him on Instagram at running away from my hair and Mr. Random. This year he's had a phenomenal year. He's just racked up some great PBs in the half marathon distance. He also ran the big half with me and one of the things I've been trying to get him to do, especially when I talk about the intensity, is kind of similar to what I'm doing. And he did a marathon pace effort at the big half and we're working towards the London Marathon. And I think he's going to have a phenomenal race. I don't want to put pressure on him and I don't want to put him in blast, but like he's doing a great job. The guy is family man. He works on his feet and he's just doing a great job. Okay, so there's a couple of other things I need to mention about the build up and how it's gone so like I said I had that setback when I decided to go into doing a trail race I did a good job I finished a race but the race gods came and humbled me and just said what are you doing you're a road runner trying to get into trail racing if you want to do trail racing you need to spend time get strong to do it so I've learned my lesson lesson learned anyhow so after that setback and recovering and doing the easy runs and I've given you like an idea of what I did in terms of training wise I still went on to record some really good results in terms of the 5k 10k and half marathon which I got a PB in all those events it's interesting about the half marathon PB I ran it in 124 and and whilst I've actually run a faster half marathon training what I was really happy about with that race was for me the half marathon I wasn't going out there to race it at half marathon effort which I know some people do what I wanted to do was to use it as a marathon pace effort because my kind of thinking was that I'm so close to the Berlin Marathon. I don't want to go too much into the well and then have to spend a couple of days recovering. I really just want to touch into that well, but still have enough to make sure I'm training because when I went into that race, that was in the back of a full training week. So there was no taper and my legs didn't feel as fresh. But for me, that was the point. I wanted to go into the race tired and to see whether I could maintain a marathon pace effort which I did and I guess if anyone was playing devil's advocate they could say to me about the training approach that I didn't really touch on a lot of the vo2 stuff which I did when I was doing the mile training if I was comparing myself to a car I just feel like I'm a diesel car or like a gt car like I've got a cruising speed and I can hold it but I just haven't got that top end speed which I need to work out especially with vo2 work or hill work so that's probably something I, I might look at in the future but like I said, I think you've always got to try and adapt to find what works for you to get the best out of yourself. And for me, it was just trying to go back to basics in this training block to make sure that I've got a good base and not worry about the Strava and the Instagram workout flexing. It's just doing lots of boring long runs and just getting time on my feet. Okay, so let's head to the race. This will be my third Berlin Marathon 
And in terms of kit, what I'm probably going to wear as a singlet would be the Tracksmith 2022 Berlin singlet. And a big thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring and supporting the podcast. If you're out in Berlin, do check out their Berlin activation. They're also opening a new store in London at Chilterton Street. So there's going to be plenty of things happening around the London Marathon weekend. So check out the website to find out a little bit more and to join in and hopefully see you at either the Berlin or the London activations. Moving further down the kit, you've got the standard shorts, socks. But the thing about the socks is I've got my kids to actually draw on my socks with like permanent markers as a nice reminder to feel closer to them when I'm running it. And on my feet, shoes-wise. So I'm going to be going for the Adios Pro 3s. I've worn them since July, so I've had them for several months. And I've worn them across different race distances from half marathon, 10Ks, etc. It's coming out shortly, and I'd love to know your thoughts on the colorway. But for me, the shoe is such a brilliant shoe to run a marathon in. I know a lot of people have compared it from the Adios Pro 2s, the Adios Pro 3s. I've actually got a YouTube video coming out this Thursday on the 22nd of September where I compare both shoes and give the pros and cons. In terms of colorway, the Adios Pro 3 Berlin Edition is pretty lively. So these shoes are available at Sports Shoes. Thanks to Sports Shoes for providing the kit and for also supporting the YouTube series. I've just explained about episode four, which compares the Adios Pro 3s against the Adios Pro 2s. Just to give you a recap, in episode one, I actually fly out to Berlin and give you five tips about the course itself. So whether it's your first Berlin Marathon or you're looking to run your fastest, I'm sure there's something in it that you'll learn. In episode two, I speak with registered dietitian Laura Tilt. If you're looking for some tips in regards to nutrition, about things that you should be doing in the final week of the marathon, then watch this episode. I also use myself as a guinea pig, talking about how I feel for my training. So whilst everyone's does things slightly differently, it does cover some general essentials that you might that you'll be able to use in your own training and your own fueling. Also in the episode, I talk about the big half. Well, I know I've spoken about it before, but I used the heart rate monitoring just to work out what my paces were. And then in episode three, I did a lactate threshold at the Human Performance Clinic at the University of East London with Andy and Richard. And it was a series of tests where I ran for sets of four minutes at varying paces. And they take a sample of blood to see what your lactate levels are. And they compare that against your heart rate. And they put all that together and then they work out where your anticipated training zone should be and the good thing about this is it gave me a guideline of what my body's telling me and and what they think that i should be able to run a marathon in so the test came back and said you probably could run it around about 6 24 minute per mile pace and that wasn't too far off the pace that i ran it in the big half around 621 so not many miles away so i'm going to be aiming for that type of pace for berlin post-race one of the reflections We'll be talking about how I got on compared to what the lactate threshold said. Now, what I will say in regards to paces is you just got to bear things in mind. You're going there on tapered legs. You're going to feel fantastic for the first few miles. Rain it in. Mile 10, you're going to feel really good. By mile 13, you're going to be in your groove. You're going to feel like you're flying, like you've got more to give. But this is the time that you need to hold back. It's still too early. That's where a lot of people get too greedy. They start upping the pace by a couple seconds. They feel like they can bank time. For the time that you're going to bank, you're actually going to lose time towards the end because you're just going to burn too much energy. So I think the main thing is to dial into your pace, keep it conservative. And the real race for most marathons, bar depending on what location you're in, 
you know, it's all dependent. But I'd say for Berlin, you know, the race doesn't really start until mile 20. And I know it's a cliche, that's what a lot of people say, but you can look into something like New York and if you go to mile 20, it's still too early. You need to wait till you're in Central Park. So it's really like course dependent, like I said before. But for me, my strategy is just to keep it nice and easy the first mile, ease my way into marathon pace, hold it, not get too greedy, like I said. And then in the last 10K, that's where you kind of push. And the last few miles is when you've got, if you've got a little bit more to give, that's where you give it. Don't give it too early. So I did say that'd be talking about some news and I've shared some news already about the YouTube training series. However, I've actually partnered with a group of amazing creators and elite athletes to form a media company called Relay. You can find us on Instagram at Relay underscore site. And then also you can find us online at www patreon.com forward slash relay that would take you to our page show the content but full disclosure it is a paid platform so it costs nine dollars a month which is about seven pounds a month and for that you get approximately 20 pieces of content written audio video from some amazing content creators elite athletes but i'm not going to rabbit on about it too much i want you to decide for yourself i'm going to put the link in the show notes check it out and let me know what you think about it. The reason why I brought that up is because I'm in conversation with Nick Bester from Best Athletics, who is a 220 marathoner. He's targeting to break 220 at the Berlin Marathon. Really good guy. And we recorded a special episode, which is on the Relay site, giving you some tips about what you should do in terms of mental preparation in the week of the marathon and some key things that you need to do post-marathon. And for me, I always like to learn from people and there's some key things in there that he said that he does post-marathon that I'm definitely going to adopt post-race. So if you want to find out what that is, check that out. Have a listen to the episode between Nick and myself over at Relay. And the final bit of news is I've partnered with Abbott's. Abbott's Global, who lead the Abbott's World Marathon Majors have asked me to be the London lead for the London Marathon Shakeout Run and I'm really excited to do that. I never thought to be honest that I would have the opportunity to, to do such a thing. Like I started my Abbott's journey doing the London Marathon back in 2010 and it was a friend that did the New York City Marathon that triggered my thoughts to do New York. And then I remember when I crossed the line, I saw a, a British guy called Sam and he had this medal around his neck had two medals he had new york finishers medal and this massive sort of circular medal of more circles and i said what is that and he said that's the world marathon majors and he explained what it was he explained about all the marathon majors and after that i was just like how can i get that medal that's like my journey to complete the world marathon majors which ended in boston 2018 and it was torrential rain and wind from the moment i left my hotel and it continued way past like, after I finished the marathon. When I got back to the hotel, it was still the same weather. I don't even have the words to describe how bad it was. I don't even think I could even show it to you through the medium of interpretive dance or through the audio of rainfall in this podcast. The rain, the wind, it was biblical. It's even like left the mark in me now. When it rains, I do think, is this as bad as Boston 2018 rain? You know the weather's been bad when you judge weather in the future based on one day and the funny thing is like when I go for runs with friends and they're like oh it's raining in my head I'm like but is it really raining is it Boston 2018 rain if not just deal with it put a coat on we'll be fine that sounds like some sort of weird David Goggins stuff so uh yeah <laughs> back to the podcast <laughs> we're out there we, we got it done there's a lot of people got hypothermia it was such a tough day and I mean I learned a lot about myself I crossed the line practically hypothermic 
and I got my Boston medal. Then I went to get my six star medal and I was just like, how can I get out of here? But the Abbott's World Marathon major team, one of the guys spotted me and said, do you want to come and do an interview for us? I was like, okay, cool. So it starts off easy. Can you tell us who you are, where you come from, all that kind of stuff. And he said to me, what have you done today? And even though I was cold, in the moment, it felt like I'd been doused with ice cold water and I'd just woken up because it took me back to the person who started running and it just made me really be grateful for the journey that I've taken to get to that point. And look, I'm not going to take you to day one of the chapter of Marcus's life, but I went through a quick flashback of some of the challenges that I'd overcome to get to that point. Even that race itself, just thinking about some of the training blocks and some of the runs I did by myself, the times where you think you can do it, the times you think you can't do it, the times you want to quit, the times you feel ecstatic. This race had given me a gift. It had given me an anchor an anchor point where sometimes when we have moments where we may doubt ourselves but after that moment has passed we can go back and either think either yes it's true or it's not true it given me a new anchor where actually I was like do you know what there's some really good here there's some really good that we can work with and I can't tell you how much that has had as a positive impact for my life moving forward and that's not something that you need to refill by doing races on races or PRs and PRs. It's just a knowing that actually there's something solid to work with, regardless of whatever happens. Okay, that got a little bit too deep, a little too quick. So going back to this role with Abbott's and being an ambassador for them, it's an incredible experience. I just really want to just kind of share what it meant to me. So a week after the Berlin Marathon, crazy enough as it sounds, I'm going to be back doing the London Marathon. So that's probably another reason why I'd be doing a lot more mileage as well. So for Saturday the 1st of October, I'm going to be leading a shakeout run. So you can join us. It's going to start at Wellington Arch, which is in the corner of Hyde Park. If you get there for 8.45am and then we're going to be ready to run for 9 o'clock. I will be leading a shakeout run for approximately 3 miles. So just to recap, we're going to start at Wellington Arch near Hyde Park and we're going to finish the run at Tate Modern. Regardless if you're traveling from outside of the UK or you're based in the UK, what we're going to be doing in that route is we're going to be covering some of the marathon route, particularly towards the end as you go past Buckingham Palace, around the Mall. So you can start visualizing, picturing yourself across the finish line. And that's really what I wanted to capture in that run. So if you've got any questions, get in touch with me on Instagram or email me. I'll be happy to help. It'll be great to see as many of you down there as possible. Before I wrap this up and we head over to the conversation with Philip, one thing that I forgot to mention was talking about nutrition. Now, this is a really key part of the marathon buildup. So for me, what's happened in the past is I've used gels and regardless of brands, I've always got sick. And the reason being is because I've never really got the balance right between the gel and taking water. I know a lot of gels now say you can take them without water, but if you do that, you're just looking to take a one-way ticket down to GI Issue Street. And that is the place that you do not want to be at, at any point in the marathon. Especially, you know, on a marathon, you've spent all that time preparing getting there. So I've spoken about the gels and the issues that it gives me in the past. However, I want to be clear that the gels are still a really good way of fueling. I still use them during my training runs and, you know, they're a good backup. However, my preference, my go-to if there was no barriers would be just to take the drink mixes because you get the right balance of carbs and hydration. But the challenge as a non-elite is how do you carry it? How do you store it? So for me, there's a couple of ways around this. 
So in my training runs, I've been using the Decathlon flasks, which are about 250 mils. They're flexible flasks and put them in a belt and carrying them with me. So I'm just getting used to drinking them. So I've been using the 320 mix. At the Berlin Marathon, the good thing is they're going to be using the 160 mix, which is slightly lighter. So that's got about 40 grams of carbohydrates, whereas the 320 has got 80 grams of carbohydrates. And to be honest, I think that actually would taste a lot nicer. I think after 20 miles, having the same taste, it does sort of get, get to you. But however, it's a lot worse than if you're doing an ultra marathon. I think for a marathon, you can get over drinking a 320 mix for how many hours you're going to be out there. Anyhow, I digress. So the plan for me is to take the 320 mixes. When I was at Seville, I did this and it worked really well. Although I kind of looked like the Michelin man because I had to have belts and holding it myself. So that adds extra weight. In this race, I've got a couple of friends who are going to be support me and I'm going to meet them at crucial points and they're going to hand me their bottles and I'm going to carry some as well. So that's what I'm going to be doing for nutrition for the Berlin Marathon. I, I can't speak too highly enough of the 320 mix. It just really works for me. Okay, so we've got nutrition covered. Now we're ready to head to the conversation with Philip Barr. So can you give us an introduction into who you are and what you do at Adidas Runners? Yeah, I just joined Adidas Runners about six months ago. Um, before that, I was running professionally, also for Adidas. So I guess that's how I was on the radar. And uh, when I announced that I was going to call it quits in October, I was approached a little bit afterwards um, and decided it was a great, great idea. And I started listening to what they had to say and really was um, on fire about the whole Adidas Runners thing. And then I started joining in, in January. 2022 and i've been with them ever since now took over as as the captain here in berlin together with my female pondongs my other female co-captain who helps me because alone is basically impossible to handle all of it yeah. but yeah that's what i've been doing and it's been, been a great ride so far it's a great community because i know nick bester based in london mm-hmm. i know lee ryan based in the middle east actually we went to school together actually mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see the work that he's done so you've got you're a part of a, a wider uh, amazing running community yeah it was my first Adidas Runner City Night this weekend so we had guests from all over the world as far as Tel Aviv for even Brazil and um, yeah of course London Paris Milan and so forth so that was kind of cool to yeah to be to be the host of of the world when they come to, to Berlin to run this fast uh, 10k and uh, have a good party with us afterwards and I hope we lived up to the expectation I assume you did because Berlin is a fast place. You talked about the 10K, but we're here to talk about the marathon. Mm-hmm. Now, Berlin Marathon is the fastest of the world marathon majors. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences running the Berlin Marathon and lessons that you've learned from the time that you ran it to what you're going to do when you run it this year? Yeah, I do have some lessons to learn. So both of my Berlin Marathon experiences were complete opposites. The first time I ran it was in 2017 when I had just finished my track and field uh, season, I, I had won the bronze medal at the German Nationals uh, in the 5K. So then I spontaneously jumped on the opportunity to pace uh, the second group of the women in the Berlin Marathon. And when I had agreed on taking the pacing job, the uh, plan was to take them out at about 2.26 pace. Well, when I actually met the girl, she told me she had been training really well. And I was like, oh, it's good for you. What is that going to mean for me? She said, well, we're going to adjust the pace slightly and we're going to shoot for a 220 now. So I had just gotten out of my season break and uh, I was far, far away from good shape. So uh, yeah, I started sweating a little bit immediately and um, it worked well. We had a really, really rainy and cold day. It was 2017 was a really rainy day. Um, 
kidneys are okay, they dropped out to your ham, hamstring cramps because of rain and so forth. Anyways, um, plan worked out. Girl ran 221, finished fourth, broke her PB by six minutes. So that was like my first marathon running experience. And in that moment, I actually decided that I was going to give the marathon a shot and then decided to have my debut in the upcoming year, um, which wasn't at the Berlin Marathon, but that's how the marathon running thing started. Now, the next time I ran Berlin was last year which was the complete opposite. It was a really hot day um, when we started at 9, 9.05 in the morning. It was already um, near 20 degrees, super sunny. So there I was, I guess, naive and stupid enough, even though I should have known better, um, to stick to my original race plan and obviously completely tanked around 25, 30K, um, which is really close to where I live. Um, so I basically was right in front of my doorstep and at that moment, um, I decided to, to call it quits and ended the race because I had German nationals as a backup plan two weeks later, which I then ran and grabbed the bronze medal, which was my final race as a lead athlete, I guess. So that was the plan. Berlin was plan A, nationals was plan B, and you know, sometimes you're just plans. And uh, yeah, but I should have adjusted my plan at the Berlin Marathon, which is the essence uh, of all of this probably. But do you think that's due to your middle distance background? Because I think there's a different mentality from the middle distance to, say, the longer distances where you're just going to go hard and you'll just, even if you crash, you're still going to get through. Whereas a marathon, if you go hard, like you're just going to really pay for it at the end, which you only discover once you get to that place. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and also middle distance running, you have so many more opportunities. You know, if you have a bad race to try again next week, obviously, usually that doesn't uh, pan out away in the marathon. So, um, yeah, by the time I hit 30, Okay, I knew I was not going to finish anywhere near the time that I had trained for and I was looking to run. So um, I guess with nationals coming up shortly after, it was just for me, okay, you know, I'm going to try to, yeah, figure my, myself out, recover, and then try again. And uh, obviously, normally, it's not the way you approach a marathon. But in that particular situation, also, I knew at that point I was probably going to, not probably, that I was going to finish my running career either after Berlin, if it went well, or after Nationals, if that was the backup plan. Um, so it was kind of a yeah, different situation than someone who was planning to run another 10 years at a high level. Okay, that makes sense. So you've obviously learned the lessons from that experience. Now, someone who's running their first Berlin Marathon, based on what you've done, what advice would you give them? So for example, would you say, run at your goal pace from the start? Or would you say, run slower or just attack it? Yeah, obviously, Anyone who runs a marathon has a certain goal in mind. If your goal is to just finish, I think then there's no shame in starting very conservative and reassessing after maybe the half and then again after 20 miles to 32K. That's usually when things get a little get a little nasty. If you are there to run a certain time, then obviously you're going to spend 12 to 16 weeks normally trying to run that time and practicing for it. So obviously then it can be quite difficult, even for me as well, to make adjustments based on how things are actually going to be weather-wise and so forth on the actual given day. You know, for example, with women, you know, they might have their own issues um, once a month where they might have to adjust. With men, you know, they might also have some health issues. They might have some stress. There might be weather problems. So I guess the message is, you know, assess yourself the week off and make, make adjustments based on um, internal and external conditions and uh, don't 
be stubborn and stick to your plan no matter what because you know that can go either way sometimes it works out many times usually it doesn't yeah that makes a lot of sense so you've got someone who's running the Berlin Marathon for the first time what tips would you give them to run their optimal race like any advice about bits in the course or we've also talked about pacing but just tips on the course yeah I mean Berlin is as flat as a pancake, so really there's no hills I need to warn you about. There's there's one hill right around the 30 kilometer mark, so I guess that's that's one to be aware of. Other than that, I mean, compared to other courses, it's it's really really flat and really really fast, so that's not an issue. Um, maybe my recommendation is to try to soak up the atmosphere because there's lots of people cheering and uh, you really get a taste of what Berlin is. For example, around kilometer 14, there is uh, the world famous KitKat Club. It's like kind of like a, a fetish nightclub and there's people in, in uh, leather outfits and latex outfits standing uh, cheering for the runners. So I guess that's a very, very particular thing that Berlin has to offer. And I just recommend to anybody, look at the course map, see what landmarks you can see and just soak up that atmosphere. Maybe soak up that atmosphere post-race. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe try to not go to Good Cat the night before the race, yeah. Oh, okay. Bad jokes aside, um, no, thanks for explaining that. We're going to do some drills as well. Can you talk about the importance of doing drills before, say, like uh, a workout, say a tempo or a track session? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was still running middle distance races, drills were, I guess, a lot more, a lot more extensive and a lot more intense than they were later on running marathons. I guess once I started running marathons, it was just you know, getting ready for the faster paces, um, just getting your range of motion back out of your tired legs and so forth. So I wouldn't spend as much time doing drills as I, as I used to when I was running 800 or 1500 meters, but it was still part of a regular training routine. And I would definitely do it before every race and every, every workout. So there's definitely a place and time for that. And uh, anybody who wants to do it, there's plenty of YouTube videos, uh, plenty of coaches, Adidas runners coaches, running groups where um, someone will be able to teach you what to do and help you out. So um, especially people starting out with running or people that want to get a bit more ambitious about running, usually good drills is a, is a decent place to start. Good stuff. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Philip. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If something resonates with you, please let me know and share online. Also, you could do me a massive favor by leaving your review on the podcast platform which you selected as it helps the podcast grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you've got any questions, please do get in touch with me on my Instagram page at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable. Thank you again for sharing your time with me.